Good evening, everyone. My name is Tanvi, and I welcome you to Let Me Spiral. This podcast is me using important topics to justify talking to myself. And the topic today is one which probably started this whole project of talking about random topics that interest me and researching them in intense detail in order to present them to an audience who might not have heard of this type of thing before. However, this topic is special for another reason in that when I first started researching it, it was not often spoken about and now it's the word on everybody's lips. Pandemics. So on this year anniversary, almost, of our very own global pandemic, sit back and let me spiral about the closest we'll be to an apocalypse. The following is a story people close to me have heard many times and are 100% tired of, but I still find it extremely ironic. In November 2019, I had to hold a short presentation on a topic of my interest. I chose pandemics. This was inspired by a book recommended to me by a teacher in high school as a response to me expressing interest in epidemiology and large-scale disease prevention. That book is Spillover by David Quammen, for those who are interested. And in that, Quammen poses some very interesting points about the nature of zoonoses and epidemics which grow into pandemics, as well as offering a quite exciting storyline to follow the progress of different epidemics throughout history. So I'm going to use this space today to kind of rehash my presentation on pandemics. And before you worry, because this is turning into yet another piece about COVID, I promise you that is not what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you back to November 2019, before you were aware of any outbreak of any new disease and let you know what the global stance on pandemics was back then. Um, we'll also talk about pandemics as a whole and disease outbreak from a distance point of view, explaining the mechanisms behind disease outbreak, just in case you've forgotten in the midst of this challenging year. Um, I'm sure by now we all know what a pandemic is or at least what it feels like but from the standpoint of lawmakers it is still important to remind ourselves what criteria exactly go into it so a pandemic is defined as an epidemic occurring worldwide or over a wide area crossing international boundaries and affecting a large number of people so what's an epidemic an epidemic is an illness or health-related behavior that occurs at a higher rate than normally expected in a specific place or time. To me, this entire definition game is quite vague. What is a wide area, a large number of people, or health-related behavior, or even a higher rate than normally expected? What is normally expected? I suspect that this vague um, explanation was done on purpose by the World Health Organization. These open definitions, you see, allow for a greater group of dangerous diseases to be classified as epidemics or pandemics, while they also allow us to observe health patterns such as the seasonal flu without immediately triggering a global emergency every single year. Simultaneously, we have a limitation with these vague terms, though, which is that 
the World Health Organization has to, in the end effect, be the one to declare a pandemic as such. And exactly this was done on 11th March 2020 with COVID-19. And also, once a disease has reached pandemic level, you can be certain that it's infinitely more difficult to rein it in. And the reasons for this are the same reasons that allow the rapid spread of diseases in the first place. We have globalization, which has encouraged and enabled international travel. So people can get on long-haul flights and travel across the globe within a day. And through this means of travel, one disease can infect the entire world within a matter of 36 hours, according to the World Health Organization. And climate change is only exasperating the issue with the clear divisions between the seasons and climate zones blurring and pathogens and their carriers able to thrive in different parts of the world at the same time in which they were previously not able to survive. Such is the case with West Nile fever, which began spreading in Germany in the summer of 2019 because the mosquitoes that carry the virus were able to proliferate in Germany because suddenly it's hot enough in Central Europe. An article from Stanford University in 2019 as well predicted the distribution of a mosquito species that carries dengue fever, Zika, and more uh, diseases in different future environmental scenarios depending on how we handle climate change. Based on their charts, I can summarize that no matter what happens, the northern hemisphere is going to be more affected by these tropical diseases, but the severity changes depending on whether or not the Paris Climate Agreement is met. Presently, these tropical diseases can infect populations all year round in countries close to the equator and cause close to a million deaths annually. Um, but if we reach the Paris Climate Agreement goals by 2080, these mosquitoes will be able to survive and transmit the diseases for a couple months each year, reaching into Central Europe, US, and parts of Russia. However, if we fail to meet these goals and continue emitting greenhouse gases per usual, the mosquitoes will reach into like further north into Canada, Scandinavia, and even most of Russia. Now, these are examples of diseases which are seasonally endemic, meaning that they are epidemics restricted to particular places. But with uh, a rapid change in climate, these could become seasonally pandemic. Or worse, more diseases could spill over from animals into humans. And at that point, the spread of each of these diseases could be unique. And um, we can't necessarily predict what's going to happen in every single one of these cases. And just that is my next point. Most of the infectious diseases, arguably all, are zoonoses. A zoonosis means that the disease has transmitted from an animal carrier to humans. The theory presently dictates that at some point, all diseases were animal diseases, maybe, um, and at some point, they transmitted over to humans, and this includes malaria, swine flu, H1N1, the bubonic plague, the bird flu, which are all expected um, and known to have transmitted from animals. But potentially unrecognized zoonoses, which most of the population doesn't realize are zoonoses, um, are HIV or Ebola. And a key thing to realize with these zoonoses is that they are not necessarily damaging to the animal 
but in many cases, um, this animal just acts as a reservoir where the virus, parasite, or bacterium just kind of hangs out and reproduces. Um, but then when it jumps over into a new host, that's where the toxin party begins. Um, let's think about the bubonic plague real quick, just to get an example and an idea. So the reservoir for the bacterium that causes the bubonic plague are rodents. The vector, so the, the agent that transmits them from one species into another, are fleas, and the victims are humans. To be fair, I made up the word victim. Um, theoretically, in a purely scientific space, you would use the word host. A host being a species which has a... Uh, an infection and it the word host doesn't clearly um explain whether or not the species is affected by the uh pathogen negatively so um as i said with the bionic plague the reservoir the reservoir are rodents the vectors are fleas and the victims are humans as well as some rats but it's impossible to vaccinate all of these rodents, and all of the rodents that are carriers don't die. So the pathogen can kind of hide in these rodent populations and jump out periodically to affect humans. And this is a process which is actually continuously happening in Madagascar, just by the way, because they do in fact still have some cases of the bubonic plague every now and again. The same bubonic plague which uh, took over the world in the medieval ages, at least all of Europe. Um, and on the other hand, this, again, from information very well explained in Spillover by David Quammen, non-zoonoses can be very easily eradicated through vaccination campaigns, um, such as smallpox or polio, because they don't have a reservoir outside of humans. And once humans don't have the disease, it can't spread. End of story. And this wraps back around to globalization because spillover events in one corner of the world can then easily spread throughout the world in a matter of hours, as was likely the case at the end of 2019 with the spillover of this new coronavirus from a bat to a human to more humans. And our food industry is probably one of the biggest proprietors of this very risk. We grow massive quantities of livestock all over the world and ship it cross-country, cross-continent. And not only this, but according to an article in The Guardian by Fiona Harvey, with the widespread uh, antibiotic use in farm animals, many animal, uh, many animal bacteria, which can be the same that affect humans, are developing resistances against the medication and earning themselves the title of superbugs. Therefore, in the event of a spillover of the superbugs to humans, it will be that much harder to tackle because we will have to try and invent new medication. And these farming practices, which kind of push the, uh, the creation or the mutation of superbugs, have many issues in themselves, which I will not cover in this episode, we need to recognize that even these farming practices are a result of our lifestyles and food demands, which are ultimately not necessarily healthy in themselves. And this results in more complex epidemics that we can observe around the world, like obesity, diabetes, coronary heart disease. And 
as you can probably tell by now, it's all a very vicious cycle, which is largely driven by the forces of industrial globalization. So that's a pandemic. That's how it starts. But how can it be stopped? Well, ideally, a pandemic is stopped before it even really gains momentum. Lockdowns, isolations, all the things that were done in Wuhan late 2019, early 2020. For this, communication and collaboration internationally is super essential, though. And that is something which the world was not ready for. The first warning that I could find was in a scientific correspondence published in the widely renowned journal named Nature, um, and this was in 1997. Mind you, this warning and most others referred to pandemics caused by influenza viruses, but this is something that for now we can overlook because I'm just going to assume that governments have translational capabilities and that there were other preventive programs running um, which didn't which didn't limit themselves to influenzas. So with that, we're just going to consider a pandemic warning to be a pandemic warning. So after this warning in 1997, which was, as I said, the earliest that I could find, a series of other warnings came trickling in, um, followed by a quite loud one in early 2019, where the World Health uh, Organization Director General, Dr. Tedros, simply stated that we are not ready in the case of a pandemic. And there is a permanent threat of a global outbreak of a flu pandemic an influenza pandemic. Now, his warning wasn't entirely on the nose. We now have a coronavirus pandemic, so it's similar, but it's not exactly the same. However, this was not the last warning issued in 2019. In September 2019, the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board, a independent body of experts um, which were assembled by the World Health Organization and the World Bank, issued an almost 50-page report entitled A World at Risk. This report details the situation of pandemic preparedness, and it also calculated the potential scenarios in the event of a pandemic. And the report claimed a worst-case scenario in which a, quote, respiratory pathogen could claim 50 to 80 million lives and, quote, wipe out nearly 5% of the world's economy. And they made very strong recommendations to rapidly increase um, the funding, lead by example to the strong countries who had, you know, a more stable uh, healthcare system, and moreover, also build strong healthcare systems throughout the world, and most of all, do this collaboratively and equally. And now this next part, which I'm going to say, is going to sound like a very familiar melody, but they had stated that a pandemic would hurt trade and tourism, which accounts for 18% of the global economy. And these effects, as well as others, could ultimately cost 3 trillion US dollars. Compared to this, the cost of preparedness was estimated to be a mere 1.9 to 3.4 billion US dollars annually, which could yield around 10 times the benefit. Now, this money should have been invested into laboratories, research, communication, building stable healthcare networks. But all of the preparations couldn't happen. They didn't happen. 
and the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board followed up a year later with a report entitled A World in Disorder in the midst of a raging pandemic. In this, they are reiterating that once this pandemic passes, we cannot resume our old ways. Governments must invest in being prepared and preventing pandemics once the immediate danger is alleviated. COVID-19 has cost us 11 trillion US dollars at the time of publishing the report over six months ago, and we are not done yet. Being prepared would have cost us so much less and lost us a lot less. Yet the programs that tried to do this were canceled, sort of. USAID, so the US Agency for International Development, uh, ran an international program called PREDICT, which finds samples and uh, DNA sequences viruses from all over the world and shares this research with scientists. PREDICT was scheduled to be canceled in March 2020, but was granted a last breath of life as COVID struck just around that time. As far as I know, the program is still running and even helped gain the first genetic information about COVID-19. However, there's also a new player in the game, a collaborative effort by the name of the Global Virome Project, launched at the end of 2019. They want to catalog 500,000 viruses to prevent a future pandemic, help shape global policies, and act quickly. We don't know yet whether they have been successful because presently they're just too young to tell. And the rest of the preparation that we can do has to come from the countries internally as they adapt their own health systems and support weaker health systems from other countries. Now, this will obviously take time, but the guidelines are out there. They've been published in 2019 by the Global Preparedness Monitoring Board. And right now, we're in the middle of a special emergency situation. So it's going to take even longer because first we need to calm this down and then we can move on to preparing for the next pandemic. But that's all for now. And that's all it's been since at least 2019. It is unfortunate that we're in this situation. But as per usual, I reach the same exact conclusion. We need to collaborate globally as a human nation and invest in our futures together. I think that is one thing that COVID has absolutely shown us. Borders are drawn and they can be put up but also taken down. And ultimately, the solution lies in togetherness and combined efforts. With that, I'm done spiraling. Thanks for listening if you made it this far. It was a loaded topic and something very near and compelling to me, so maybe I got quite into it. Um, please do send me your thoughts, questions, comments. I'm available on Instagram and Twitter at Let Me Spiral or any other way you want to get a hold of me. And also feel free to share this with your friends and family. Um, the direct download links or links to other streaming services are available in the podcast description or on Instagram or on the blog. 
and that reminds me the blog also has the sources of my research um which is also linked in the description and with that see you next time